And it is summer, so we got lots of people in and out for the next couple weeks until we get through summer. But it's good to have you all here. Hey, a couple of reminders. First of all, men, uh, those of you that went to the men's retreat got a, a book. Uh, well, they ended up getting some extras. So uh, any of you men that didn't get a chance to go on the retreat, uh, if you check out the Woody's men's table out there, I'd recommend you get that book, Reckless Pursuit. I think it's a great book. Um, and anyway, you can check that out. Uh, also wanted to just remind everybody that in a couple weeks, uh, Stephanie Alsman is going to be heading out on her missions trip, so be in prayer for her. She is fully supported, so we thank the Lord for that, and just keep Stephanie uh, in your prayers. Uh, a couple other things. I'm going to save the children's announcement till the end this morning. Uh, don't forget that this coming Tuesday uh, is the last Tuesday night Bible study uh, for about five weeks. Uh, we're going to be off on July the 1st, July the 8th, July the 15th, July the 22nd. And then we'll come back and start a new series on July the 29th. So mark July, July the 29th on your calendar. That will be the day after this Tuesday that we come back. We are going to have one more Tuesday over there. But speaking of that, as I shared last week, and some of you weren't here, uh, during the summertime, Lisa and I wanted to uh, open up our home and have a four-week home Bible study. And that's going to be for four consecutive Thursday nights starting on June the 26th, which is this coming Thursday. It's open to anyone and everyone. It's an adults only. If you'd like to be a part of that, so it's the four Thursdays would be June 26th, July the 3rd, July the 10th, and, or July, yeah, July 3rd, July 10th, July 17th. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, if you can come one week, if you can come two, if you can come three, you can come all four, doesn't matter to us. We would just love to have you. Please let my wife, Lisa, know. Sign up, because then we'll get the information back to you about directions and all of that. So uh, just wanted to let you know about that. But that starts this Thursday, 7 o'clock. And as I shared last week, my goal is this. For us to have a study time, a discussion time from 7 to 8, have some refreshments from 8 to around 8.30. And then for those of you that want to leave around 8.30, you can be back here into the Chandler-Gilbert area at 9. For those of you that don't know, Lisa and I live out in Gold Canyon, which is about a half an hour's drive from here. So it's going to take some of you a little bit less than a half an hour to get to our house. Some of you, it might take a little bit more, but that sort of helps you to gauge it. So anyway, if you'd like information on that, please go back and see my wife. I'm doing something today that I don't think in 30 years of pastoral ministry and teaching the Word I've ever done on a Sunday... I've done it on Tuesdays, but I don't think I've ever done it on a Sunday. And that is give out a sort of an outline of, of the passage. And the reason I came to this conclusion is one of the things that I hear feedback from you guys a lot is that you appreciate the fact that I try to make, you know, our passages understandable, that I, I attempt to make what can be sort of maybe complicated, more simple, <laughs> I tell people, I do that for my own sake, not for yours. Uh, you're just getting the byproduct of that. But as I got into this passage today, uh, or, you know, leading up to today, even though Paul is simply contrasting two men in this passage, he's, he's contrasting Adam with Jesus Christ, that the way Paul did it, and I'm not questioning Paul or the, the Holy Spirit and how this was all put together, but the way it was done was that this contrast was sort of interwoven or weaved together. 
and it wasn't sort of separated. And in my little mind, to help me understand the passage, I needed to separate it. I needed to go into the passage and sort of what I tell people is blow up the passage and then put it all back together again so that it made sense to me. In fact, I share with people when they ask me, you know, how do you study the Bible? I say a lot of times that's what I do. I I don't take the passage as it comes to me. I take it apart, sort of like a puzzle, and then put it back together. And so for the sake of time and making sense and all that, plus I thought this would be something maybe good for you to keep along with this passage. This is what you find in your bulletin today, and we're going to follow this pretty closely. So it's going to be a little bit, again, of a departure from the way I usually teach, because usually we just go down through the passage, and I teach verse by verse through a passage. But today we're going to be pretty much looking and taking, steering close, I guess, to this outline. But before we do that, I do want to take time to read the passage today. So let's begin, follow along, in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, where Paul here contrasts these two men from history, Adam and Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says here. So then, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but there was no accounting for sin when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin in the same way that Adam, who was a type of the coming one, and he transgressed. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if the many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, multiply to the many? And the gift is not like the one who sinned, for judgment resulting from the one transgression led to condemnation. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. For if by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through the one, how much more with those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through the one transgression, so too through the one righteous act came righteousness, leading to life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Now the law came in so that the transgression may increase. But where sin increased, grace multiplied all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This to me is one of the most important passages in all the word of God. And and I, I hate to say that because it's all important. But I think in order to grasp the reality that is God, the worldview that should be ours as Christians, we need to get a handle here and really grasp and understand what the Word of God is teaching here. And I even think that even as a Christian, 
who may be in Christ today that what Paul teaches is you've, you've never really seen it before, that this can revolutionize and, and sort of uh, just change, transform your Christian life by what Paul is teaching here in this passage today. Let's remember just real quickly before we get into this, that he's building on what we talked about last week, which is God wants us to know where we stand with him. He wants us to be secure and settled in our position. Because once we are settled in our position with God, then we can move on to obviously enjoying the relationship we have with God. Just as we pointed out last week on a human level. If I don't know where I stand with another human being, then every time I get together with them, we're just sort of always dancing around, you know, the periphery and, and trying to figure out each other and where we stand with each other. And we never really get into the depth of the relationship that could be there if we just sort of settled where we are with each other and move on. And sad to say, Paul said last week, many Christians never get past that point. They're living their whole life trying to determine where they are with God and where they stand with God. And therefore, they never really experience the peace, the hope, the love, all of that that we talked about last week, which is a byproduct of having that settled position. But once I have that settled position and I know where I stand with God and I can begin to build on that, then out of that, I'm going to realize that there is a power available to me in this life. A power that God wants me to know about and use at all times. And that's primarily where Paul is coming from today in this passage. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul makes this comment to the Corinthians. He says, the kingdom of God is not demonstrated in idle talk. But it's demonstrated with power. In other words, he's saying there are many people even that can claim to be a Christian and, and say, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. But are they? Not everyone who confesses that they're a Christian really is. Only God knows the heart. But then you even move on. There are many who are Christians, but they never really experience the power of God in their life. They, they live a life of sort of frustration and despair because they just constantly spin and they never really get anywhere because they've never really learned how to live through Christ. They're still primarily trying to do it on their own and in a sense living through Adam. And so that's why Paul is penning this to the Romans. He doesn't want the Roman Christians to keep living through Adam. Or he wants to make sure that everyone in the Roman congregation and everyone who hears this letter understands that if you don't have Christ and you're trying to live your life through Adam, you're going to end up in a real hopeless, futile, despairing, discouraging place because you don't have the power in Adam to ever really be able to overcome sin to overcome bad habits, to overcome anything that can provide a drag to your relationship with God or even in life. To be able to live life to its fullest, we'll never experience that through Adam. We can only experience it through Christ. And one of the main things that Paul wants to get across today 
and then we'll get into this passage today, is this. Whatever the Bible says we lost in Adam, through the fall of man, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we gained so much more through Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that today. That whatever the Bible says we lost through Adam, we gained so much more through Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this outline this morning. I tried to put this in a way that would make sense. And again, you'll see very quickly that this is not even in chronological verse order. It's all jumbled up and jumped around. And yet it made sense to me. So if it doesn't make sense to you, just be kind. Don't tell me. Let me have the, dis, uh, the illusion that, yeah, Jeff, it, it really made sense to me. So anyway, because I want to start where I think it should start which is with the one transgression and disobedience of Adam that's pointed out in verse 16 and verse 19 that we read. He talks several times about the one transgression, and then he talks in verse 19 about the disobedience of this one man. And you'll note, gals, especially in that, that even though Eve was the one that was deceived, who was held accountable before God? Adam was. And that's good for us as men to know. You know, we can try to live outside the reality of God. We can try to live outside the worldview that God has set down. But as men, whether we want to step up and be the spiritual leaders and be the ones that are ultimately accountable for our home or not, we will be held accountable by God whether we like it or not. That's the reality that is God. And that was true from the very beginning. God said, Adam, you're responsible. You are the head. And even though Eve was first deceived by the serpent, Adam actually sinned with his eyes wide open because he knew. In fact, the word transgression here, describing the fall of man, is a very interesting word in the Greek language. It's a word that basically meant God drew a line. In the sand. In a sense, he drew a line in the garden. He told Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, you can eat all the from these trees in the whole garden. There is nothing off limits to you. Nothing except that one tree. Don't eat from that one tree. And God drew a line. Now, again, like we are as human beings, it's like instead of enjoying the hundreds, if not thousands of trees that they could have enjoyed... There was that one tree over there that God said not to, and Adam crossed the line. That's what the word transgression means. And and he ate of the fruit that was given to him by his wife. He stepped over the line. It's like, well, God, I know you told me not to go across, but I'm going across. See what happens. That's transgression. And then Paul says in verse 19... This was disobedience by this one man. Very interestingly, and something I think that can speak to us, this Greek word also is a very important word. It means closing one's ears to God's voice. That's his description of disobedience here. That Adam literally closed his ears to God's voice. It wasn't that Adam didn't hear what God said. It wasn't that Adam didn't have a clear, you know, boundary given to him by God. It wasn't like he didn't know what was expected. It was, I don't hear you, God. 
And, and, and what that reminds us of is that if we're going to be obedient Christians, that means our ears are always to be open to the voice of God. Because God's people throughout the word of God are those who hear God's voice and respond to it. That's who God's people are. It's not that we always are are in a good place. If we're not in a good place and we hear God's voice, then we should turn and and repent and, and allow God to change. But God's people are those who hear his voice and respond in a positive way. Adam didn't do that. He, in a sense, plugged his ears to the voice of God and did not hear with the intent of hearing in order to follow through and do what God said. That's disobedience with God. See, it starts with God before the actual act of disobedience. It goes back to the hearing of God's voice, which is why it's so important for us as God's people to make sure that when we are in a place like on Sundays and Tuesdays and even in our own private time in the word of God, that our ears and and our attention, in a sense, is, is heightened and we're ready to say, God, speak to me. I'm here. I'm ready to listen to your voice. Then you'll notice the description of what happened after his disobedience and transgression. Verse 12 says, sin entered. Sin entered the world through Adam's one transgression. Sin invaded and infected the entire human race. Sin, ever since Adam and Eve, has been passed down through each family, through each childbirth, from one generation to another. That's the way sin entered. And just like you've heard on the news lately about that terrible accident at the CDC in Atlanta where that anthrax was mishandled and people were infected, that in a sense is the way God is describing sin only even to a much greater degree. Because this is spiritually deadly sin. And this is something that we're going to learn a bit, little bit later has a 100% mortality rate to it. And this is something that doesn't just affect our life here and now. This is something that can affect eternity. And so he's saying through one man's transgression and his disobedience, this is how sin entered into the world. Now, again, folks, the reason why Romans I consider to be the worldview Uh, of God in scripture, as far as a book goes, is because this answers a lot of questions that people who don't have a relationship with God, don't think the Bible's God's word or whatever, they have a hard time trying to even come up with, why do we die? I mean, seriously, you, you ever ask somebody who's not a Christian, why do we die? Why do we get old? Why do we die? Apart from the Bible, there's no really good answer for that. Christians who know the word of God should have a clear answer to that. I'll tell you why we die. Because sin entered the world. And then notice in the outline, then actually came judgment from God. The guilty verdict. That's really what judgment means. The guilty verdict. God says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And man is guilty before God. That's judgment. After that is condemnation. Condemnation simply means the penalty that the verdict demands. You see, there's a verdict, guilty, that's judgment. Then the condemnation is, here's the penalty that the verdict demands. And man is condemned really in three ways. 
Man, we are learning, is a sinner by nature. Okay? We are born sinners. You don't hear that a lot anymore. See, most people today think that man is essentially good. No. David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm 51, In sin did my mother conceive me. I tell young parents, do you have to teach your kids to do wrong or to do right? I think they do wrong naturally. Because that's what the Bible says. Because sin entered and we are born into sin. At this point, I want to say this. There's two sort of opposite worldviews, if you will, mainly today and throughout history. One has been obviously fashioned by man and says, you know what? I think we're all, ultimately we're all pretty good. We're all pretty okay. Yeah, we might have, but we're all pretty okay and and everything's going to be okay. That's one philosophy. The biblical God perspective philosophy is there's a serious problem and it must be addressed. And unless people really come to grips with that reality, then they never understand life and eternity from God's perspective. As long as man buys into the fact that we're all pretty okay and everything's going to be okay and we ignore the reality that God has showed us there's a problem and that problem needs to be addressed. And it all goes back to what Paul's teaching here. Then notice verse 12. Death spread. Again, death sort of like This infectious disease, it completely pervaded mankind without exception. As I went back just a few minutes ago, what's the mortality rate? One out of one. Do you know of anybody who hasn't died? I don't know of anybody who hasn't died. And as a pastor for 30 years, I've done a lot of funeral services. In fact, next Sunday... I'm getting ready to do one of, of not someone from our church family, but some family that knew me that asked me if I would do the memorial service. And I said, I'd be glad to. Folks, we will all die. Because sin entered, notice, death spread. And there's not a one of us ever that somehow is going to escape that. It spread, and it has spread to all of us. The Bible teaches it is appointed unto men once to die. Now, again, we're going to get to what God has done to, to change maybe our perspective on things, but this is the reality through Adam. Sin entered, death spread. Then notice verse 14 and 17. Death reigned. You see this word reign a lot in this passage. It literally means to rule as a king, to dominate. And so again, Paul's saying, does not death dominate everyone? Does anyone not get ruled, if you will, by death? Even Christians, because we still live in this body of sin, even though we still are saved and our spirit is going to go to be with Jesus one day, we have to lay down this physical body because it has been tainted. It has been affected by this sin principle that came through Adam. Death reigns, my friend. 
It does. That's the reality. And though man tries to deny it, though man tries to escape it, though man tries to somehow find that fountain of youth that Ponce de Leon tried to find, they will never find it. The fountain of youth is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the fountain of youth. Notice then in verse 20, a strange thing. Through Adam too, because of what Adam, the the law came. And it makes it sound the way it's written in our English translation in verse 20, like God gave the law in order for sin to increase. But that's not really what is meant here in the in, in God's word in chapter 5, verse 20. God gave the law to provide a contrasting backdrop so that man would become even more aware of his sinful nature. Not of his individual sins, but of the sinful nature that needs to be taken care of. See? That's why God gave the law. As we're going to see in the coming weeks from the book of Romans. The law can never bring righteousness to our life. God gave it, think of it, think of the law of God as an x-ray. You go to the doctor, you get an x-ray. It tells you inside there what's right or wrong or needs corrected or needs surgery, but it can't correct it. It only tells you what needs corrected. That's the law. The law has a great purpose. There's nothing wrong with the law of God if we use it for what God intended for it to be used for. To point out to us, where we need corrected. And also think of it as the reason why God gave it is the same reason why if you go into a jewelry store and they know what they're doing, they'll always display their diamonds on the richest, darkest black background they can. Why do they do that? Because they want that diamond that they set on that black background to pop. They, they want the contrast there so that you see the contrast. Well, folks, that's why God gave the law. He gave his law to show us, oh my goodness, here's God's moral law and here's where I am. What a contrast. How do I bridge that? How do I change that? How do I, how do, I do this? Well, again, it's going to come in a minute through Christ. So the law came. But notice when the law came, again, because the law doesn't have power within it to change people's hearts, What the law ended up doing was making sin more prevalent in people. In other words, when God gave specific sort of do's and don'ts and gave his moral law, it didn't show somehow that there was something wrong with God or his law. It showed how sinful we are, that our sin is so deep, if you will, that we take something so good like God's moral law and we actually use it to sin more. You all know that. You, you, we all know that. You know, all it takes is somebody to say, don't do that. And there's something in our human nature. Goes, I'll show you. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know. That's why a lot of places, believe it or not, they, they've come to learn like hotels. I don't know. I was reading an article. A, a lot of hotels don't put up don't do this and don't do that anymore because they found that the more that they put up things that people shouldn't do, the more they were cleaning up after the people doing it. It was like, oh, I I shouldn't do that. I'll do it. That's what he's saying there in verse 20. Sin increased, you see. And then notice verse 21. Sin reigned. 
Not only did death reign through Adam, but sin reigned. It dominated. It ruled as the king. And we know that to be true, folks, if we're honest. Because we understand that through Adam, that's why we have so many people today in the world who are addicted, who are hopeless, who are frustrated, who are trying to overcome something in their life that on their own, through Adam, they have no way of overcoming. They have no way of seeing victory over. They've got something in their life that is wrapped around them, and it's like a boa constrictor. And instead of them somehow getting out of it on their own, it only keeps tightening and tightening and tightening. It totally will dominate us. It will rule us through Adam. That's what we have. Now, if that's where the story ended, it'd be a pretty depressing story. But God didn't end the story there. Because God introduced someone else to us in this passage of Scripture. And that is Jesus Christ. And so notice on the other side, through Christ, what can happen in a person's life. First of all, I want to go back to verse 15 where he talks about this is a gracious gift, what we have or could have through Christ. In other words, it is an undeserved provision of God. That's one of the meanings of the word grace. We, again, don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to work for it. There's no way we can merit it. We can't be good enough. But God gives it to us. All we have to do is receive it. In fact, notice that emphasis even in verse 17. If you go back to verse 17, let me read this verse again. Very important. He says, for it, by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through the one. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? If there's a verse that I would like you to take away with you today, take home with you, memorize, meditate on in the coming weeks, it's Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And we're going to come back to that verse at the end. Notice he says, who received this. The word receive means to grab a hold of and take for oneself, to grasp. See, just because God offers us this great gift doesn't mean everyone receives it. You and I have to personally receive it. It would be just like at Christmas time. Somebody drops a gift on us at Christmas time. That's great. But if you never open it up, not really going to benefit from that gift, no matter how wonderful it is. There are many people... Who, yes, God has given us a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But you and I have to personally appropriate that gift to us. We have to receive it. And when we do, then we understand the gracious, gratuitous character of this gift that God has given to us. Which then leads, notice, to justification. A big theological word that really can be summed up in the first four letters of the word just. The word means what God establishes as just. See, God is a just God. And in order for God to be just, and as we learned a little bit earlier in Romans, also the justifier of those of us who sin, and everybody has sinned because we've all been infected through Adam. God did this. He says, okay, I'm going to put 
the penalty for your sin if you will receive this free gift on Jesus. So that there's still a penalty paid. Someone has to pay the penalty or else God is not just. So in his justification, it's not like we just get off the hook and somehow God just winks at sin and does nothing about it. No, the whole crucifixion of Christ, the whole cross, the whole message of the cross that we even sang about today that we want God to lead us to should remind us of the fact that, yes, God did justify us and it didn't cost us anything, but it cost Jesus Christ everything. And that's how he can justify us or declare us right before him. Say we're not guilty, we're acquitted of all charges. Which comes, notice in verse 18 and 19, from the righteousness that Jesus brought, because he was perfect. As the Bible teaches, he was sinless. He was a lamb without spot and blemish. We don't come being justified by God in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness that came through Jesus, and notice also in verse 19, the obedience of Jesus. By the way, I think this is important for us to remember too. The word obedience here that describes Jesus' obedience is a word in the Greek language, it means surrender. Jesus surrendered to the will of God, His Father. Even in Gethsemane, Lord, if it was possible, take this cup from me, But if not, not my will, but yours be done. Surrender. That's what real obedience is. And that's why God the Father highly exalted him. Because Paul says to the Philippians, For he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, Paul says. That was the obedience of Jesus. Maybe there's something you And I need to surrender today. Maybe it goes back to even, am I really listening to the voice of God? Am am I hearing with the intent of doing what God says? Or am I sort of closing my ears to God's voice? And then when I hear what God says, am I willing to surrender my will to God's will? That's obedience. And because of what Jesus did, notice it leads in verse 19 to the fact that many, Paul says, were made righteous. We were placed into a right relationship with God, not by what we did, but why, but why Jesus did, but by what Jesus did. Again, quoting the verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how we are placed in right relationship with God. Not by what we do, but through what comes through Christ. Then notice verse 15, very interesting verse. He says, this gift that came through Christ multiplied to many. And he said, that's why it's not like the transgression of Adam. What's he contrasting there? Well, notice By the one transgression, Adam sinned that one time and that plunged the world into sin. That was the fall of man through one sin. But what he's saying now is this. What comes through Jesus Christ doesn't just take care of one sin. It takes care of each and every and all of our sins. That's why the gift 
is so much better. That's why what we have in Jesus Christ is so much greater than even what we lost in Adam. Because God, through Christ, doesn't just forgive one sin. He forgives the many. There is no amount of sin that cannot be forgiven in Christ, through Christ. It doesn't matter what, how many, whatever. There is nothing in the Bible that says, now once we get to that many sins, then sorry, Jesus can't, his sacrifice can't handle that many. No. So Paul's saying, so realize something, that when you and I have Christ in our life, that even though only one sin caused this all to happen, that when Jesus Christ came and died for us, he died for each and every and all of our sins of all time. From the time we started sinning to the final time we stopped sinning when we die and go to be with Jesus. All those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we have through Christ. And notice, the realization of all that leads in verse 18 and 21 to life. To eternal life. And again, I just want to remind us that these words speak about the abundant life that Jesus talked to his followers about when he said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It is a higher quality of life. Eternal life, folks, isn't just a quantity of life because, oh, I'm in Jesus, so I live forever. Even people who go out into eternity without Jesus will live forever. It's primarily a quality of life. And it's a quality of life that God wants to start right here and now in our lives. That's what Jesus came for. Not just to give us life that's great once we die and go to be with heaven, but a distinctive, higher quality of life that's demonstrated in our everyday lives here and now. So that as people observe the way we live our lives as Christ followers, as those who have Christ in our life, they should be amazed. Wow. How can you live in the world, the same world I live in, and have such peace? How can you live in the same world I I live in and have joy? How can you have hope? How, how, how can you have these perspectives? I don't understand. See, when we truly embrace the life that Jesus Christ truly came to give us and enjoy down here on earth, there should be such a distinctive quality of life that emanates out of our life that people stop and take notice and go, there's something different about you. Because, man, what I'm hearing drives me crazy and I'm filled with anxiety and I'm filled with fear and I'm filled with hopelessness and You seem to walk around and come to work every day with with joy and and with peace and with love and with self-control. And where does this come from? It comes through Christ. And then notice, he talks about this grace being multiplied to us. And here, this grace is not just the undeserved favor or provision of God, this is now describing the supernatural provision of God. And he reminds us in verse 20 that even though sin increased, grace multiplied, he said, all the more. The word multiplied means to overflow, to flood in. In other words, whatever sin comes into my life, God is saying through Christ, God will supply you with his supernatural provision of his grace that will flood into your life, that can more than conquer that sin, that can more than match that 
power of sin. Because yes, sin is powerful, as we've learned. But God's grace is more powerful. And Paul wants us all to know that. So that it leads to, verse 21, grace reigning. Verse 21. See, he says, look, we can live two ways. We can live through Adam, primarily. And if we live through Adam, then death is going to reign. Sin is going to reign. It's a pretty bleak picture. I have things that rule my life. I don't rule them. I have things that dominate me. Not I dominate them. And yet, he says, but through Christ, it can be totally different. Through Christ, when I learn to let grace reign in my life, then I can learn to let God's grace rule rather than sin rule. See, it's not that God doesn't give us the fact that, yes, the reality of sin is present even in the believer. But he says, but I've given you something that's greater than sin. I've given you something more powerful than sin. It's my grace. So instead of letting sin reign, let my grace reign in your life. And this leads me to my last point. And I hope you'll take this with you because this is the one point I wanted to leave you with today. Besides the fact that what we gain in Christ is so much more than what we've lost in Adam. And I don't want you to miss this. So I want to read it again from verse 17 of Romans 5. Don't miss what Paul says here. For it, by the transgression of the one man, death reigned through the one. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, don't miss this, reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's teaching there to us as believers? Not only will grace reign through Christ, but we reign through Christ. And our reign doesn't start when we die and go into eternity. He says, we, through Christ, can reign in this life. We can rule as kings and queens. So that the only thing that should rule over us in this life is Jesus. And the only thing that should dominate us is the grace of God. There should be nothing else that rules over us. There should be nothing else that dominates us. That's the destiny of the children of God. We reign. And that's the way we should carry ourselves every day. Not walking around even in this life as somehow defeated children of God who are allowing people and things and circumstances and all of these things in this life to somehow get the better of us and dominate us and rule over us. God has set it up through Christ that we reign over them. That we let nothing rule over us except Jesus. That's what Paul's teaching here. So Paul is saying to everyone who will hear and respond. What's your life characterized by? Are you living your life more through Adam? Experiencing separation, which is really what the word death means. Is sin reigning? Are other people dominating and ruling over you? Are you letting them get the best of you? Or through Christ, are you overcoming what comes your way? 
Are you letting habits and sin and things rule over you and dominate you? Or through Christ, are you saying, no, there's a greater power in me than that power? Through Christ. And see, that's why Paul said to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing more powerful than me. If I understand what Paul's teaching here, then I understand that Jesus, when he saved me, also saved me to rule and reign as kings and queens for him and with him in this life. And therefore, he wants us to begin to experience the abundant life that comes through letting his grace reign. But here's what we have to realize in closing. The only way his grace will truly reign in my life and allow me to reign is when I humble myself and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I I can't do this without you. I'm understanding that through Adam, I got nothing. And I continue to fall on my face and make the same mistakes over and over again and spin and never get anywhere and get frustrated. And it just seems like it just keeps building and building and building because I'm trying to do it through Adam. And there is no power through Adam. What I'm learning is I need to depend upon you. I need to wake up every day. I need to lay down my pride and say, Jesus, I need you. Help me. That's how grace reigns. That's how we reign. That's why James says, God resists the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. Let us humble ourselves today and say to God, God, I'm done trying to beat this thing or do this on my own. I'm tired of living strictly through Adam. That hasn't gotten me anywhere. It's time to start living through Christ and the victory that Christ brings. No wonder Paul said later on to the Romans, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Are you a conqueror today, my friend? If not, then may that change today. And say, today starts the day that I start living more through Christ and less through Adam. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this tremendous passage of Scripture that reminds us, Lord, that through Adam, the picture and the reality is bleak. Sin entered. Death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Death reigns. Sin reigns. But Lord, through Christ... All of that can be reversed. In fact, even in your word, when it comes to death, you tell us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus took upon himself human flesh so that he could destroy the one who had the power of death, the devil, and set free those who through whole life had fear of death. Because Jesus is stronger than death. And God, if we are inseparably linked to Christ... If we are in union with Him, that death and no other enemy, no other weapon, no sin, nothing is more powerful than we are through Christ. Help us begin, Lord, to reign today as You give us the opportunity to through Christ. Help Your grace to reign in our life. So that we may rule over the things of life 
rather than allowing things to get the better of us. Lord, thank you. We lay ourselves down before you today. We humble ourselves and we say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. I'm glad this last song is a up-tempo song because we're talking about reigning, folks. We reign in life through Christ. Let's sing it together.